Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Speaking in December of 2022 here with James Flay. He is from Down Under Nuclear. We're picking apart some of the comments from some of the political leaders in Australia about nuclear. James, how are you going today? Well, thanks, Ricky, and you? All right, thank you. Look, uh, let's just firstly, background listeners, you've spoken with us before uh, about the nuclear conversation, as we call it here on Flow. What's your skin in the game in terms of nuclear energy in Australia? Sure, so our organisation is was set up to, to advocate and educate um, for nuclear energy to be considered as part of Australia's energy mix. We've been doing that for four years, uh, and we think it's essential. We don't think we can remain a prosperous industrial nation without nuclear energy as part of our future energy mix as coal exits. And if I recall correctly from our previous conversation, you're someone who's come to this decision that nuclear needs to be considered as someone who, you know, you had some interest or involvement with renewables and other energy sources and you realised this needed to be part of the mix. Absolutely. Uh, Actually, I came to the realisation when I was uh, trying to develop a a solar project uh, that you know, there were some, some reasons in our financial model that we just couldn't get the project to work in the end. Uh, but, but that started a deep dive as to, as to some of the, uh, I would say, lesser known um, paradoxes with renewable energy and, and you know, the claims about it being cheap, um, unfortunately, are only half true. Uh, and I've also spent you know, much of my career uh, working in the oil and gas sector, particularly upstream gas. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I understand other energy sources uh, intimately and uh, you know, I just don't think they're going to be adequate uh, by themselves to get us to, to net zero. Well, earlier this week, the South Australian Premier Peter Malinowskis and he and I had a conversation on air about nuclear as well uh, in late November, but he was talking about the AUKUS arrangement, Australia, UK and the US, regarding nuclear submarines as a potential foot in the door to look at what nuclear energy could do for South Australia. The direct comments he told News Limited was... Uh, He's always thought the ideological opposition in some quarters to nuclear power is ill-founded. He said nuclear power is a source of baseload energy with zero carbon emissions. And he said he's dedicated to a decarbonisation effort. So he felt that we should be open-minded to technologies and it would be foolhardy to have a different approach. What's your reaction to those comments? It sounds very sensible. I mean, he really can't really can't fault anything he said there. Uh, he's wanting to have a sensible discussion by the sound of it, um, grow public awareness um, maybe a lay public concern, so I think that's I think that's perfect. But things got a bit uh, a bit spicy thereafter because you got Prime Minister uh, Anthony Albanese was on radio the next day saying he's got a great deal of respect for the South Australian Premier, but everyone's entitled to get things wrong. The Prime Minister said every five years or so we have an economic analysis. He claimed of whether nuclear power stacks up, and every time it's rejected. Uh, is he on the right track there, the Prime Minister? No, and, and this might be one of those occasions where um, the Prime Minister himself is, is allowed to get one wrong every now and again. The, the truth is we don't have an economic analysis every five years into the viability of nuclear energy. Um, we usually have a little bit of a, an inquiry prompted by, um, usually by backbenchers. We get the, the same people um, from the same federal government bodies coming out and saying, 
you know, we don't need it, it's too far away, it's too expensive, uh, with very little evidence to back those claims up. And they don't uh, seem to take stock take of how the technology is changing. And they also don't seem to take stock take of the fact that France, the UK, the United States, Canada, Japan, South Korea, and that list goes on and on and on, are all saying and acting uh, toward, you know, uh, are, are, have acknowledged that there is no deep decarbonisation that's going to be possible in advanced industrial nations without nuclear energy. And so they're all, you know, extending the life of old reactors, building new reactors, looking at new designs that are more economical. Um, so we're a bit of a laggard down under. And I noticed as well, there's been a whole lot of commentary. I know Victoria's Premier Daniel Andrews has talked about being 100% renewable energy by, I think it's even sooner than 2050. But uh, getting off of, I guess, the fossil fuel scenario, uh, as I understand it, uh, the amount of projects that are proposed around the world, we're not going to get close to running off of, getting off of fossil fuels for a very long time to come. So doesn't that mean nuclear needs to be considered in the mix as many other countries are? Absolutely. I mean... There is there is no analysis, engineering analysis, nor is there an example of an advanced industrial nation without truly massive quantities of hydro being able to go to 100% renewables. We don't have a successful example. What we do have is uh, really serious attempts by the likes of California and Germany, uh, which have come up short, woefully short. And and so we, you know, there's a great there's reason to be sceptical that we can ever get to 100% solar and wind. Uh, and, you know, that, that's why one of the, you know, in our conversations that we've been having, we've been trying to make people aware of the fact that this is not a sort of scenario where we pick technology winners. You know, it's like as if it's some sort of popularity contest, nor is it a scenario where policymakers have got a range of, you know, more or less equal options and they just can sort of choose the one that's most palatable to voters. You know, we truly don't believe, nor do many other nations, that it is possible to remain the kind of nation we are without nuclear energy in our future. Well, I noticed um, in the response to the Premier Peter Malinowskis' comments in South Australia, the National Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, said that nuclear was slow to build and really expensive. She claimed uh, all this nonsense, I'm quoting here, about small-scale nuclear reactors in every suburb. I don't think if there's people up your street who want a nuclear reactor in the local park, I really don't think that's the case. So what do you rate of those comments? Well, I've never heard of a um, suburban nuclear reactor so i'm not i i would agree with her that that's that's nonsense um I, i'm not sure where she got that from but you know the environment environment minister um could do could do well to look at the example of the uae for example you know they, they started in 2008 they made a decision that we're going to pursue uh, a nuclear energy program they're a country with a, a far less sophisticated industry and, and industrial workforce than australia and by 2019, they had first, uh, 2020 rather, they had first electrons on the grid for their first plant. And so you sort of go, okay, well, it took them you know, 11 years from the time they made a decision to the time they got um, electrons. But then we sort of, we look and we go, yeah, but one year after that, they had the second reactor online. Two years after that, they had the third reactor online. Four years after that, you know, which is this year, the fourth reactor will be online. And so well, 25% of their electricity will be carbon-free nuclear in under 15 years from making that decision. And that's an extraordinarily deep um, and fast decarbonisation playbook. And it's worked for numerous countries. So 
if, you're, if your time horizon is an election cycle, I understand why it may seem slow. But if you're, if you're taking investments over 40, 60, even 100 years, well, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a no-brainer to, to use a technology that scales up uh, actually really quite quickly. And this uh, business, she says, uh, well, I, mean, I don't know who either who's talking about small-scale reactors in every suburb. That sounds a bit alarmism to me. But uh, the serious conversation is about, you know, say the mining industry or parts of remote um, Australia having small modular reactors in those locations. I mean, isn't that really what the nuclear conversation has started to zero in on is we're not looking at large-scale um, plants like other countries have built or will be building. It's these small-scale ones uh, to put energy where it's needed in energy-intensive industries. Well, there's actually there's a there's a couple of things there, Ricky. First is there is a class of reactor that's uh, on the drawing board, uh, and some of them are sort of you know deep into prototyping phase, which would be well suited for remote operations for things like mine sites. Um, these tend to be closer to what we call a micro reactor, the one to fifteen megawatt scale, um, and and I think there's a enormous potential future in Australia and also other places around the world. Um, for micro-reactors. But in terms of our national electricity grid, that's a, that's a different class of reactor we're looking at. That's, and I would say that's better, better considered a medium-sized. They're, they're, all, they're, all, they're called small, but they're really a medium-sized reactor, um, and they can be deployed uh, relatively quickly, not as, not as quickly as uh, you know, the micro-reactors, which you know, roll off a truck and, and get set up. You know, they still take a few years to build. Um, but... So there's, there's two classes of reactors. There. There's, there's the micro and then there's a the sort of small to medium-sized grid-connected reactor, and, and Australia really needs to be looking at both. The large reactors are terrific. They're very safe. Um, and, and by countries with really enormous... And for countries with really enormous electricity grids and, and interconnections to adjacent uh, countries, they make a lot of sense. Uh, I wouldn't rule them out in Australia one day, but they're also quite a substantial risk to undertake as a first project um, with project delays and, and licensing uh, and siting. So I, I don't think they're appropriate for Australia um, initially. But those, so it's a small modular or what, you know, in that range, that micro range is what might have more immediate possibilities in Australia, I gather. And how soon could those potentially be rolled out from where we are at the prototype stage? Well, unfortunately, in Australia, we couldn't roll them out very quickly at all. Uh, we haven't started work on, on doing the, you know, going through the IAEA milestones approach to, to stand up our regulatory infrastructure. So Australia just doesn't have an option to, to go nuclear quickly because, you know, we, we've, we've failed to prepare. Um, the first micro-reactor is scheduled to be deployed to U.S. Air Force Base um, in 2025. That will be a Westinghouse design. We've been working on that um, since I think about 2008, and uh, that will be that will be a terrific test case. Um, you know, 2025 is not far away at all, and you know there are other technologies, slightly slightly bigger in scale, which are um, the Canadians are building actually, uh, Ultra Safe Nuclear Corporation. So I think that's not too far away. That'll be in sort of late 2020s. Yeah, and James, just on that point you make about we're not ready yet, it's really a, a question of political will, and that's why we've zeroed in at the start of this conversation about the comments of a South Australian Premier and the Prime Minister and the Environment Minister, is if the will was to develop more around what Premier Peter Malinowskis has said, uh, that we could actually get started if we removed the, I guess, the blockages in parliaments. 
Absolutely. The, I mean, the UAE, a tiny little nation, uh, was able to build four very large reactors um, in cooperation with the Koreans in, I think, a 13-year period or 11-year period, whatever it was. Um, I think 11 till the first one was built, uh, 13, 13 today. And Australia could move faster. We have uh, a nuclear regulator already for our Lucas Heights reactor. Which, which incidentally is situated in the suburbs of Sydney, despite what the Environment Minister said about them being situated in suburbs. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, so, you know, we have a skilled workforce. We have um, tradespeople and you know, engineers and, and other project professionals who have got experience with very large, complex projects. Um, so this is, this is certainly not beyond us. We could move more quickly than most nations, but we have to start. And I think... You know, the comments of the South Australian Premier are, are absolutely spot on. Uh, a, a sensible, non-ideological conversation about the merits of nuclear energy as part of a mix. I, I should say that as well, Ricky. You know, we, we occasionally get asked, well, if we can't go 100% solar and wind, can we go 100% nuclear? And our response is always the same. 100% nuclear energy is only slightly less absurd than 100% solar and wind. It needs to be part of an intelligent mix of technologies. Well, James Flay from Down Under Nuclear, if people want to do their own research and find out a bit more information, what's your website address so they can drill deeper? Downundernuclearenergy.com.au um, is, the, is our website. We've got some uh, material up there and you can get in contact with us. Great stuff. Thanks again, James, for joining us today and uh, you have yourself a Merry Christmas as well. And you, Ricky. Thanks for your time. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.